How you guys doing? That's three of you are doing good. That's great. Listen, I'm doing fantastic, so you guys are just going to be long for the ride. Just along for the ride. So guys, we are in this sermon series that we're doing. Nor- normally, um, every, uh, every year about this time, I just do one like sermon on kind of the vision of our church and, and what we're about and why we're doing what we're doing uh, and, and kind of what drives us and motivates us. And, and this year, I was feeling a little ambitious, and I thought, let's do a whole series on it because I think it might be good for all of us just to kind of get recentered and to kind of get re-together, reunified as a church um, as we're growing, and, and we need to make sure that everybody's kind of on the, on the same page. And so last week, we talked about one of the four things that we're going to talk about. I know you're, you see the giant 4ABQ on the back of the wall here. And, uh, and so this is the, the thing is that we, we talked last week about how um, the world has all these ideas about what we're against, but, but so much of the world has no idea what we're for. And, and so I think it's on us as a local church that that's you and me. The church isn't the building, it's the, it's the people. And, and so uh, it's, it's on us to be able to go out into the world and be able to explain, hey, this is what we're for. We're for our city. You know, I'm for a few things in our city, actually. You know, I'm for small businesses thriving and succeeding. Amen? Like, I think if our small businesses are starting to take off in our city, it's going to help our city in a lot of ways. You know, I think our state particularly has a little bit of a poverty issue. And so I think I am absolutely for business starting to take off in our city because there's a stronghold the enemy uses to be able to keep people beaten down. And I think that I think that we should be for small businesses, right? I think I should be for different things in our city. There's, there's a kind of a, an attitude in, in our city and in our state and maybe even around the world of, of people that are, are sad. They're, they're depressed. You know, there's plenty to be sad and depressed about in this world. So, so as a church, we should say, hey, you know what? We've got something that is, has some hope in it. And we've got something that has some love in it and some joy in it. You see, we, have, we represent the name of Jesus, and he brings hope and healing and restoration. And, and I think that we are, can go to the world and say, hey, this is what we're for. I think for too long, the church has started the conversation from, this is what we're against, hoping you'd stick around long enough to hear what we're for. It doesn't really work, does it? So why don't we flip the script on this thing and say, hey, this is what we're for. And, and yeah, sure, there's some boundaries that God has put into our life. But, but if you understand what, what God is for, that God is for you and he's not against you, that God has a dream and a plan for your life. And, and if you see all this stuff, you're like, you know what? I understand what we're for. And then the minor things that we may be against and what God's word says, well, these are the boundaries in your life. Man, those boundaries are nothing compared to, to the goodness of God in your life. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. Amen. Now, if you're visiting with us, or maybe you're here and you're just kicking tires, you know, I've never been to church. What does that word amen mean? I know you're like, what does this amen? Well, there's a couple things. Uh, Amen means I agree, right? It means like, yeah. And so amen can come out in these different ways. Sometimes it comes out in a, mmm. Give me an um. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It can come out in a, in a preacher, preacher. Yeah, it can come out all these different like ways, right? So if you're hanging around here, like like you gotta know, like you can amen, you can you can preach a preacher, you can do what you want, but but there, there's a rule you gotta understand. Like you have to amen where it makes sense to amen. <laughs> have you ever been to one of those churches where the guy sits on the front row or the second row and he's like, Amen, like, hi guys, how you doing? Amen, brother. Yeah, well, let's turn in our Bibles, amen, brother, and they're just amening and amening and amening, and it's just like an uncontrollable flow of amen that's just coming out of your mouth all the time. It's like they have a case of amenorrhea or something. I don't even know if that's real, but, but 
But they got this whole thing going on, and, and you know, it's, it's like they just, the flow of the mouth. And so, so you got to know, you got to put the amens in the places where the amens belong. You got to put the amens in the places where the amens belong. But listen, here's a couple of things. If you amen, number one, I preach a little better. I also get really excited, and I preach my notes faster. And the NFL playoffs are on today, so you might get able to see kickoff on the start game. So the more you amen, the better this is going to be, and the faster it's going to go. And we're all going to have, see, there we go. All right. Listen, here's the thing. We have four things that we center our church around. We've been doing this for a while, and so we've decided that we have four main things that we center our church on. And the first one is this, is we want everybody to know God. I don't want you to know about God. I want you to know God. All through the Bible, Jesus is looking for followers. He's never really looking for believers. In fact, if you look really closely, I think even Satan believes in Jesus. He just chooses not to follow Jesus. So believing in God and following God are two different things. And so you can know about God and believe in him, or you can know God and follow him. And my heart's cry for everyone in this room is that you would know God on a deep and personal level level. You know, once you start to know God on a deeper level, God starts to do something in your life, which is he wants you, he starts bringing freedom into your life. He wants, I want you to find freedom in your life. God will bring freedom in your life from different things, right? He will bring freedom from addictions and afflictions, from stinking thinking and and different mentalities. There's sometimes oppressions and depressions and and all these different things that come on us. Listen, God wants to bring you freedom from those things because you know why? Because he wants you to discover your purpose, It says that God knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, which means that God designed you from the beginning that there was a purpose in your life, right? And so if we know God deeper and he sets us free from things, we start to discover the purposes that God has wired us and built us for so that we can go make a difference in the world around us. There is no greater feeling in the world than using your God-given purpose to make a difference in somebody else's life. It doesn't get any better than that doesn't matter what kind of house you live in, what kind of car you drive. And you start doing that, man, all that other stuff can just go away. I don't even care about any of that stuff. Start making a difference in the people's lives around you. You discover how God starts to work in you and through you to do amazing things. I can tell you when the supernatural meets your natural and God does exponential things in someone's life, it's just mind-blowing to see how, what happens in, in somebody's life. And so we've centered our church around these four different areas, these four steps in your spiritual journey. And so now these steps seem great, but we have some verbs and some values to go with them. I know, here we go. Verbs on the path. Listen, if you want to know God, it requires that you have to follow. There's a follow that has to happen there. There's a verb of following that has to happen. If you want to find freedom, you need to connect with other believers in in a meaningful way so that they can help you find freedom. Listen, circles are greater than rows. We say this around here. You can show up to church, put on your church face. God bless you, brother, for one hour, sit in a chair, and, and everything can be just great. But when you get into a small group of people and you're in a circle, I tell you, I've most, some of the most meaningful times in my life happened around a kitchen table, not necessarily in a church service. I'm inspired in a church service. I get encouraged in a church service, but I really come down to brass tacks at the kitchen table at somebody's house talking about things that God is doing in my life and allowing God to shape things to happen in each other's lives in a meaningful way. That has to happen. So you've got to connect with somebody on a meaningful, deep way. And so I want you to discover your purpose, which requires you to have a little bit of discovery, a seeking mentality of, God, I'm going to seek you and figure out what is this thing that you've put inside of me. And I want you to make a difference, which means you have to be selfless and to be able to serve somebody else around you. 
So we have these four things we center around. We have these four verbs. And guess what, church? We have 28,000 values that we have as a church. Probably, right? But we have four core values because we're clever like that. And so our four core values is this, is that um, we are all about Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is the cornerstone of this church. He's the foundation of this church. And if your cornerstone isn't there in the construction purposes back in that day, they used cornerstones. That cornerstone right there was what set the course for how the building was going to be built. So we have the foundation, the cornerstone, the main piece of what we do. We are built on Jesus. We're all about Jesus, what he did, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do. We are built on Jesus. Number two is this, is we treat the Bible like we believe it. Today, we're going to talk about how we treat the Bible like we believe it. And so the third one is this, is that we don't go to church to consume, but we are the church and we contribute. You don't come to consume, but you are the church and you contribute. And the fourth value that we're centered on is this, is that we love to be generous. We love to be generous. We love to be a generous people. God was so generous to us. My goodness, how can we not be generous to others? How can we not be generous to others? Man, I got notes in here. We should, we should have notes, right? Amen. Amen, right? Stick to the notes. NFL playoffs are on today. Go Saints. I mean, as a pastor, right, I kind of have to. Who are they playing? A bunch of barbarians? The Vikings, I think, right? Yeah, see, a bunch of thug, criminal barbarians. I'm telling you, we're, we're cheering for the Saints, right? We're Saints of God. That's right. So we treat the Bible like we believe it. We treat the Bible like we believe it. Do you treat the Bible like you believe it? Because I think if we treat the Bible like we believe it, it's going to make a difference in our life. It's going to make a difference in how things happen in our life. Because what you truly believe at your core changes your actions. That's why we say it that way, is we treat the Bible like we believe it. So if we believe this, our actions will actually change. You see, we want to live it out. So when you believe it's true, we live life differently. You see, Scripture becomes the grid work by which we make sound biblical decisions. We're all faced with decisions every day. And, and i got to tell you, I've made some good ones and I've made some really bad ones. And maybe you guys have only made one bad one in your life, but that one bad decision that you made ever, you know, in your entire life was because you didn't look to the Scripture. But I can tell you, when you look at the Bible and look at the Scripture and the Word of God, you start to see that there's a framework for making decisions in your life. You know, my, my, my iPad, which I like to preach from, I have all my fancy-dancy notes on here, it did not come with a paper manual. Like, you know, like an owner's manual, right? I got it out of the box, and I'm like, how am I going to... I'm looking for the owner's manual and how does this thing work? And, you know, I don't really, there's only two buttons on the thing. I guess you can't screw it up too much, right? But they actually put the, the owner's manual into the iPad in like his electronic form. And, and so sometimes you might read the scripture and it's in a paper form. And, 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 you're, and you do that and I, and I do that. I, I love my Bible and I love to read it in a paper form. Sometimes I read it on electronic form. I just want to tell you that whether you read your Bible through paper or electronics, I just want to encourage you to read your Bible, <laughs> You, you need to get it in you. You need to start applying it. And, and I don't care what version it is. In fact, it, you, know, you guys know this. Many of you know this. The Bible was not written in English. In fact, the Bible was written in quite a few different things. In fact, there were 66 books inside of this book. The, the Bible is more of a collection of books than it is a book in itself. There's 66 books. There's 40 authors. There's actually three different languages in here. And it spans thousands of years. 
Isn't that incredible? This isn't really a book. This is more like a, like a library or something that's, that you get to hold in your, in your hand. In fact, you, you go look at the authenticity of Scripture. This is um, really interesting to me, is that uh, the Bible, historically and archaeologically speaking, is one of the most authentic works, historical works, in the history of mankind. You, you know, for, for people to say, well, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's uh, inaccurate, you know. I mean, who knows what would have, what would have, but you know what, historically and archaeologically, there's nothing else that, I mean, this stands head and shoulders above every other historical work that exists in humanity. It, it's, it's really unbelievable. And so it, it, it tops all of these things um, because it's a thousand years old. So people would actually hand copy sections of this book onto manuscripts and they would, they would do it with extreme carefulness and accuracy and, and distribute it around the world. And, and so then eventually now we're looking back and we find different periods of time where we find this handwritten manuscripts of people tra- uh, transferring the Bible from, from one page to another so that they didn't have photocopiers or printing presses or, or any of the wonderful things that or iPads like we have, right? So they had to do it by hand and copy it around. And here's what they find is that the, the copy from thousands of years ago to the copies that they're finding today, that, that literally thousands of years of time have passed, they have very minimal to no errors in them. The amount of detail and the thousands of copies that they found worldwide, there is a, a conglomerate now of, of, of how many copies are out there and the historical evidence and the archaeological evidence proves that the, that the the uh, accuracy of this book stands head and shoulders above anything else. And I know what you're thinking, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the word of God. It just means it's historically accurate. And that's fair. That's fair. Well, it's, it's, not, the, it's not the word of God, but I mean, you could say that it's not the word of God, right? So I got to say this, is that what about the documented 500 witnesses that saw Jesus rise from the dead? Well, you know, maybe somebody could have forged that. Oh, okay, maybe. But here's what I know. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I, I'm pretty sure, don't quote me on that. It's not, I'm, I'm, my dad used to say this all the time. He used to say, this is free, because it wasn't in his notes, you know, and, and he hadn't studied it ahead of time, and, and he's like kind of, he says, it's just free. You didn't pay for this part, right? So, so this, part, this part's free. Um, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I think it is, it, it says that, that it's because of, of your willingness and your faith to receive the word of God and put it into practice that people know that you're a follower of Christ. Amen. So what about the millions, hundreds of millions of people that are alive today whose lives have been transformed by the power of God? You can't say that's not true. What about the, the people that came before them and came before them and came before them? The hundreds of millions, billions of people that have lived on this earth, that have had the life-changing power of God make a transformational shift into who they are. You can't deny the power of God as it comes through. You can look at this book and, and maybe criticize different passages and say, well, I don't understand how this and this even fit together. But, but when you dig deeper, you start to discover that, that everything weaves together as if some divine being over thousands of years happened to weave all of this stuff together. Listen, the fingerprints of God are all over this book. This book has something in it that no other book has. And the power of God flows through this book. You see, Jesus is the grounds of salvation. We talked about last week. The Bible is our foundation for knowledge. 
Jesus is, is the foundation of, of, of salvation, right? But the Bible is our foundation of knowledge. You wouldn't know everything about Jesus if you didn't have the Bible. When you start to study the word, you start to discover the ways of God and the path of God. You start to discover how God functions and operates in different contexts. You start to, to start to understand these things. So then moving forward, you start to understand this is how God thinks and how he operates. You start to, you start to see this is this is historical thing that, that, that is here that, that shows this is how God moves. And so then when you start to think you have God moving in your life, you have a reference point to say, is this God or is this not God? Because you have the documented history of what God has done all through life. But see, it's even deeper than that. Because the word of God comes alive in our life today. As you read the word, something magic, not magical, something supernatural happens where the Holy Spirit comes into your life and uses the the word of God to make changes in your heart and in your life. This isn't just a dead book and a history book. This is the power of God that his Holy Spirit uses this and can find this Holy Spirit to speak life into your soul. I'm telling you, Scripture matters. And we're going to treat the Bible like we believe it. We believe the whole thing from cover to cover. You find a section in there, you're like, I'm not sure if I agree with that. Listen, it's okay if you agree with it or not. We believe that it's true. And your agreement isn't the validation that it needs to be true. Back away, back away. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> you see, Christians across our world and through the ages, the Bible is more than just a book. Followers of Jesus Christ believe the Bible to be scripture, which is kind of a fancy religious word. It simply means that we believe the Bible to be a divine communication from God. Because of that, we believe that when people hear and understand the words of the Bible, people encounter the voice of God. So today, we're going to celebrate the Bible as scripture, specifically we're going to find a few reasons why Christians celebrate the Bible as Scripture. So number one. Number one is this. A scripture is a source of food. Scripture is a source of food. I mean, if I had enough salt and pepper and... No. I'm starting on this new diet, right? Is it paleo? I'm not sure. Listen, it's a source of food. You see, I... I firmly believe that there are different aspects to you as a human being. You have a body, you have a spirit, and you have a mind. You have a soul, right? So you have like your body, your soul, and and your spirit. Listen, this is the way that you feed your spirit. I mean, think about how you feed your body, right? You got to feed your body on a regular basis. If you eat nothing but M&Ms, I I can tell you what your body shape is going to be looking like. I can tell what your internal organs are going to start to um, shrivel up and die. You know, you you might have like a, everything's gray and shriveled up on the inside. If all you're eating is junk food all the time, you're going to have some some health issues in your body. Listen, what you feed yourself and your soul and in your spirit matters. My dad used to say this all the time. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. And so you've got to make sure that you're feeding the right things in your life. In fact, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, but Jesus is answering a question. He says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, the Bible nourishes our souls. We have needs beyond our physical bodies. We have a mind and our body and our, and our spirit. Just as each day we need food and water for our bodies, we need nourishment for our souls. It's funny. 
God was leaving the church, hypothetically, not this church, of course. Preacher man, I'm not getting fed. You know, if you only ate once a week, I'd be pretty hungry too. If I only ate one meal a week, I'd be pretty hungry too. In order for your spirit, in order for your spirit to thrive and succeed, you need to feed yourself more than just on Sunday mornings. You're going to hear a little bit from me here, but I'm telling you, it's not enough to sustain you. Even if you ate the biggest, thickest, juiciest steak you could possibly imagine, even if you just gorged yourself on food on Sunday mornings, it would never get through through seven days. You'd be hungry sooner rather than later. You need to be feeding yourself more than just on Sunday mornings. You see, as, as a church, we actually try to help you find ways to find spiritual nourishment in your body. On Sunday mornings, we, we preach a sermon, but you know, we also have Bible reading plans available. We, we also have small groups that I think are super important. Like I covered earlier, circles are better than rows. I think small groups allow you to find encouragement with other believers, that they help you go deeper into the Word. They, they help you through when times that are tough and times that are good. And when you have good times, they have a tough time. And, and you find this relationship and this circle, and, and you find a way that, that, that you end up feeding on the Word of God for your spirit together. It's one of the best ways that you can, that you can grow. And in fact, today is week two of our Connect class. And, and so if you started with us last week, this week we're talking about how do you grow in your spirit, man? How do you feed yourself this, with, with the, the nourishment of, of God's word? Like, how do you do these things? We're going to talk a little bit about that in our Connect class. And, and if you're visiting here and, and you want to join our church, you've got to go to the Connect class. That's, that's, your, next, that's your next step. And, and in fact, I know there's somebody that's going to hate me saying this, but, but if you're visiting with us today and you want to start on week two, why don't you come on over? We got food in, our, in the commons right after church, and I know I see the panic in the eyes of the administrative people going, are you kidding me? We already ordered lunch. Don't worry. We always order extra. And so um, there's always leftovers. But yeah, come, come and join us, even if you're going to start on week two, next week's week three, and then we'll catch up on week one um, a little bit later down, down the road. But we teach you how to find nourishment for your soul in your own personal Bible reading. And yet so many things in our culture promise to nourish our souls. Have you ever been in a place where you're dehydrated and you go to get something to drink? You have options that look like liquid. They feel like liquid. You drink them, but they're not refreshing. You ever go and you're just, you're dying of thirst and you're like, oh, I'm just going to get a soda. And as you're drinking it, the mouth is wet and you feel like it's going to get better. But within 30 minutes, all of a sudden, you start to feel even more dehydrated than you did before you drank the soda. There are liquids out there that actually dehydrate you more than, you know, uh, beer's another one, right? Beer's another one, the classic dehydration uh, beverage, right? You think I'm drinking something liquid, but you end up being more dehydrated at the end of it all. What you, what you drink matters. The world has solutions for you that feel like liquid. They feel like nourishment but in, in the moment, but it leaves you actually wanting more than when you first started. It just does. And so you can read a self-help book. You can go look at some motivational quotes and, and you can find Twitter guys that are tweeting motivational things and you can be like, oh, that sounds really good. And 10 minutes later, you've forgotten about it and there's no impact in your life. I'm telling you that the word of God solves the nourishment problem in your spirit. There's really nothing else that can do that. Number two, the scripture is a source of wisdom. Scripture is a source of wisdom. And this is where I think because the Bible has so much wisdom in it and how to make decisions and, and whatnot, this is where people say, oh, it, the church is just against all these things. 
No, I think the Bible is just pretty clear. If you take these kinds of steps, there are some negative consequences and actions that accompany those steps. And the Bible is pretty clear about warning you about, hey, guess what? If you cheat on your spouse, it's going to damage your relationship, maybe even end the relationship. That's kind of common sense. But, but so the Bible starts talking about morality and, and how do you stay in a monogamous relationship with your spouse because that's the best thing for your relationship with your spouse. And, and sometimes people can look at that scripture and be like, oh, there's no fun in church, you know. And it's like, no, we have all kinds of fun. We're just trying to save you some pain and, and some heartache. And, and almost all of the boundaries that God puts into place is wisdom to help you live a more satisfying and fulfilling life. Right? I mean, the Bible says don't be drunk because you're going to be hurting your friends. You're going to hurt your brother. I mean, that, that seems like common sense. Show up at any bar in town, some drunk dude trying to fight another drunk dude. And they're hurting each other, right? Like, you go out, you drink too much, there's going to be some problems, right? It's just some common sense wisdom. But, but, but people will take it and think, oh, man, this is just too many rules. No, they're kind of for your best interest. I got an owner's manual for my car. I got an owner's manual for my iPad. Um, I also got an owner's manual for my life from the person that created me. And um, it's pretty wise to adhere to that. I don't hear anybody talking about the crazy rules of the auto manufacturer. I got to change my oil every 3,000 miles. Doesn't let me have any fun at all. (laughs) It's just wisdom, I'm telling you. And so in Psalms chapter 19, verse 7 through 9, the law of the Lord is perfect. reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of God of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Man, there's some sticky words in here. Law and precepts and, you know, commands, fear and rules. Man, I don't know about this Bible thing. We're probably least excited about the word law, aren't we? In fact, if you feel like, oh man, I'm just going to be reading like, is this like the IRS tax code? In fact, when you really look at laws, people who read laws in depth are typically looking for loopholes anyway, aren't they? <laughs> like, like who reads the IRS tax code for fun? The only time you're reading that bad boy is if you're like, okay, where's the loophole where I can pay the least amount of tax as possible? You know, and you're reading the laws in specific normally when you're trying to evade um, the consequences that you may be faced with in the moment. You see, a law is restrictive, something we try to find loopholes in, not something we celebrate. But the word for law here, see, this, this section of the Bible is written in, in Hebrew, and the Hebrew word that they're using there is, is, is um, uh, in, the, in the word Torah there, it's meaning, uh, the word they're using is uh, teaching or instruction. So the teaching or instruction, not, not necessarily the law, So the author of this part of the Bible celebrates the law because it comes directly from God, giving us direct access to God's wisdom. The other five words are different ways of describing the different parts of the Bible. See, here's the laws and the rules and regulations we look at. in, in, In my opinion, I guess, I only find two generalized categories. One of them is, is I'm tempted to do something wrong. When you're tempted to do something wrong, there might be some things in your life that, well, I can see incredible devastation that those actions can bring. If I'm tempted to think that I'm responsible for my own success, you start to think, oh, I did this on my own. It starts to bring incredible pride 
And pride leads to a fall. I can read this Bible and I can see that when I'm tempted to do something wrong or if I think I can take all the credit for myself, I read the Bible and I'm warned of the intoxicating power of pride. The stories of the Bible are full of these kinds of warnings for anyone who will read them with an open heart. The Bible also helps us see some blind spots. I don't have any blind spots. Well, no, you're just blind to the blind spot. I have no flaws. Well, you do, but you just can't see them. You have a blind spot. There might be some things in our lives that we're not even aware of, things deep within the depths of our own soul or patterns that we no longer notice. These things might be destructive to our relationships, damaging to our relationship with God, but they're blind spots. We can't see them. The Bible helps us discern these hidden errors inside of our life. Comes across as this word conviction. When you become suddenly aware of something that is wrong inside of your life. I can't count the number of times I have been casually reading my Bible and read the same passage that maybe I've read before dozens of times. But through the quickening of God's Holy Spirit in my life, while I read that passage, it jumped off of the page almost. And I realized that I was wrong in a certain area and that the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I realized at that point, I need a savior. And and, and I don't even know how to fix this. I can't even believe I've been functioning my life with this blind spot. And the word of God will help expose those blind spots in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. If you aren't reading the word of God, it's going to be really difficult for you to see your blind spots. The Bible also guards against Willful rebellion in our relationship with God. All of us at times rebel against God willfully. Fully knowing that God wants us to do, but making the choice instead to do it our own way. I'm guilty. Anybody else guilty? I knew, right? I knew. God wants me to do it this way, and I'm like, nah, this way is way better. When we do that, we can easily become captive to that choice, and it can develop into an addictive pattern that we can't break. The Bible can help us break the power of an addictive sin that tries to rule over our lives. If you struggle with repetitive sin, listen, the the scripture combined with the Holy Spirit can help you break that pattern in your life. It really can. So in the Bible, we find wisdom to navigate the complicated areas of life. And number three, my final point this morning is scripture as a source of life. Scripture as a source of life. Hebrews 4, chapter 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul of the spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is living and active. There is life in this book. Romans chapter 10 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. You must be in a place where you're absorbing the word of God in your life. So what, do you, what you feed will grow and what you starve will die. If you want the power of God alive and active in your life, you must take the time to intentionally feed it. You must take the time to intentionally feed it. So the, the Bible empowers us to speak words that are edifying and uplifting. So what comes out of our inner life is pleasing to God. It also enables our inner thought life, our meditations to be pleasing to God as well. Most of us would be utterly humiliated if people knew what we were thinking half the time. 
Imagine if everybody could hear every thought that goes through your head. I'm grateful that you can't. (laughs) And maybe I'm grateful that I can't hear yours either. (laughs) Listen, our inner thought life will be a hot mess if it was left to our own direction. I mean, think about it. The thoughts of anger and jealousy that just jump in so quickly. The, the, the thoughts of, of rage and, and the thoughts of revenge and, and the thoughts that want to pop in our mind so quickly. The thoughts of, and the, the thoughts that come into our mind that want to tear us down. Have you ever had that negative voice in your mind that starts to just destroy you and tear you down internally? Listen, that thought isn't from God. Our internal thought life matters. Our internal thought life matters. And it's good to subject that to the word of God. Our inner thought life can be a mess if left to our own direction. Yet because the Bible is scripture, it can cleanse that inner thought life and can transform that same place into a holy place where God's presence is thriving internally. My parents, both of them used to say this, think about what you're thinking about. Are you thinking about what you're thinking about? This is one of the ways to see if your inner voice is from God or not. Does that voice bring life into your spirit? Does that voice bring life into your soul? Because scripture will bring life into your soul. See, (laughs) the enemy, Satan, the, the accuser, the one who is a liar, will constantly say things to try to tear you down. And here's the, here's the major distinction between the two is this. You see, the enemy, he knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. But God, he knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. He calls you by who he's created you to be. He calls you by the, the, the truth that he's put inside of your life. You see, if he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb, if he designed you and put you on a purpose and a plan, if, if he loves you that much as his own child, listen, he wants to call you by your name. He wants to call you up and out of the sin that you may be struggling with. He isn't going to accuse you of your, of your sin. He's going to say, no, come on, let's rise up above this thing. Let's not beat you down with your nefarious actions that may have happened or your thought life or whatever may be crazy crowding your mind right now. Listen, God calls you out of that. Satan knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. So the foundation matters. The foundation matters. If the band would come, we're going to wrap up now. The foundation matters. You see, what you build your life on matters. The things that, that you build your life on matters. At this time of year, everybody has these New Year's resolutions. Maybe you have a New Year's resolution. But right about now, you see all the ads on TV are all about weight loss products. Have you noticed that? Everything, you seen those things like shake weights? You like, I mean, like, what is that? It's a joke, right? But every product out there, every infomercial is out there. You got treadmills with video screens and live conferencing with the coach on the other side of the planet or something. What are they going to think of next? It's still going to sit in the corner of your room and collect dust, right? But, but you know, we have all these, these motivations, right? We think, I'm going to get better. I'm going to do these things. Did you know that in, in the fitness world, if you can invest 1% of your time into your physical fitness, you're going to see results? 1%. Think about it. 1% of your time. You know, so you have, you know, 15 minutes a day is 1% of your time. 15 minutes. Now, 15 minutes may be hard to get a good workout in. 
But if you do 30 minutes of high-intensity interval training, if you like really focus on really hard exercise for 30 minutes every other day, I can guarantee you you're going to see results in your body. Now, you're not going to be Mr. Muscle Man Olympia, whatever, you know, with 30 minutes a day. You want to be that guy? It's not 30 minutes every other day. That's like 30 minutes of every hour. Those guys live at the gym, right? And so, but in order to have like that big old rip, you got to invest a little more than 1% of your time into physical fitness. But if you just invest 1%, I mean, that doesn't seem that hard, does it? 1% of your time, 30 minutes every other day in a really hard focused exercising, not a walk around the park, but a real one, right? A real workout of the day powerhouse thing, right? You really focus on it. You're going to start to see physical improvement in your life. Here's my challenge for you. In 2018, can you invest 1% of your time into your spiritual development? 1%. 99% of the time, do whatever you want. But can you take 1% and invest it into your spiritual development? Can you invest 1%? Now, for some of you, you're going to say, that's easy. I got that. Okay, Mr. Olympia, show off. Go ahead and like put in 30 minutes a day, 45 minutes. Do you do, what you, do you, you know what I'm saying? But, but if you're at a place where you're like, you know, I'm not even really investing in my own spirit life the way it needs to be invested in. 1% of your day will make a difference. 1%. 15 minutes. But you don't even know. I don't have 15 minutes. Listen, your day will go better with 15 minutes of less sleep and put spending 15 minutes reading God's word and praying. Your day will go better. You, you won't be as tired. You, you clear the fog out. You get yourself centered around God's word, around the Holy Spirit. 1% of your day. What do you think? Can we do it? Can we do 1%? I think you can do 1%. I believe in you. 1% doesn't seem like that much. Here's what I know is when you start to exercise. The first time I went to, I, I started exercising again a couple years ago. And the first time I went to the gym, I like curled the trash can. I thought I was going to throw up. It was terrible. I was like, people do this? This is awful. And I, but, but guess what? It was, it was tough to do that one workout. You know, the second time I went, I, I made it further before I went to the trash can. But I kept going back and I kept working on it. Now I can go to the gym multiple times a week and give it a really hard effort and a workout. I mean, obviously I have the body of a Greek god, but... But I can work so hard, right? But I can work out more, and I'm getting more and more exercise into, into this thing, and it's getting more results. It's getting easier and easier and easier. Listen, your first 15 minutes of the day might feel a little tough to you. Be encouraged. Have faith that it gets easier. Guess what? You go Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and then you wake up Thursday, and you're in a bad mood, and you overslept, and, and you know what? You get a cheat day. How about that? Get a cheat day. If you have a cheat day and you forget don't worry about it. Just get back at it the next day. You got a couple cheat days in a row? Listen, the enemy's going to call you a quitter. He's going to know your name and call you names. You know what I'm saying? He's going to call you a quitter and call you a failure. That's not the voice of God. The voice of God is saying, well, come on, let's just pick up where we left off. It's not that big of a deal. Listen, 1% of your day, I think we can do it. And there's some people around here that can give 2% or 3% or 4%. You need a life hack? Get the Bible and audio on your smartphone. Shut off the music on your drive to work. Listen to it for seven and a half minutes. Shut it off and pray for seven and a half minutes. And that jerk that cuts you off, you won't even really notice him, really, right? You need a life hack? I can't even find 15 minutes. There's 15 minutes in your drive. Hey, you know what? You can 2% it and get on the way home too. Double dip, right? Yeah, now you're on to something. So church, my challenge for you right now for the rest of 2018 is find your 1%. Invest in your spirit. 
Invest in your soul. Invest in your relationship with God. Don't just believe him, follow him. And as you follow him, you will find freedom from the things that God wants you to find freedom from. Church, we treat the scripture like we believe it around here. We treat the scripture like we believe it around here. Will you stand with me and let's worship one more time? As we worship this last song, our our prayer teams are going to be here. They're going to be on either side of the stage. You need prayer for any reason at all. Maybe it's a physical, we believe the whole Bible. So if it's a physical healing that you need, we'll pray for that. If you need anything in your life at all, maybe it's a a spiritual thing. Maybe it's somebody that's not in the room, but, but it's a family member of yours and you want prayer for them. They will stand in prayer with you for that other person that isn't even here. That's how committed we are to prayer in this church. And so we're going to pray like that. Now, if, if we have our connect class number two, going right after church about 1130 or so in the commons. You don't want to miss it if you want to be part of City Church. God bless you. I can't wait to see you next week.